If your happy ending is no more joint pain, please try Sierra Sil with a money-back guarantee. It's all-natural joint pain relief that's changed our lives. Sierra, like the mountains, and Sil, like silicon. Go to sierrasil.com. Use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Well, hello. I'm Erin, and welcome to Drift. When I was a child, I remember we had a record album of narrated children's fairy tales. Maybe that's where this idea to do this story came from. Who knows? Except for one big difference. Those stories scared me a lot. So when I came upon a list of the ten favorite fairy tales recently, I was surprised to find one of those I liked least from that LP, Rumpelstiltskin. Well, Brothers Grimm, I'm going to have my way with your story. Because I know that children listen to Drift, too. So I'm going to send you off with a gentler version of this well-known but hard to spell fairy tale made possible by Envy Pillow. That's E N V Y. Envy. That's easy. And these pillows are the best thing to happen to you since, well, a good night's rest. Kathy and Kim, two registered nurses, are behind these pillows that are designed for back and side sleepers and obviously me, since I've loved mine for some 20 years now. Made with your wellness and that of the planet in mind, Envy Pillow is infused with antimicrobial and collagen-boosting copper. Learn more in the morning at Envy Pillow. That's envypillow.com. Just before we get into our story of Rumpelstiltskin, let's take a few moments to relax and get you in the right spot in bed or your chair or couch, wherever it is that you are. And we're sharing these moments together. And thank you for that. Find that perfect place where you're cozy and safe, warm and comfortable. Get your pillow into just the right spot. And as you do, allow your head to sink into it. Relax your neck and shoulders and let your arms and legs feel heavy. Your hips releasing their steady, sturdy hold. If you're able... Go right down and wiggle your toes and tell those piggies goodnight. Then let your eyes close tight. Relax your jaw. And now a few deep breaths, taking in a cleansing one on the inhale. And as you exhale, release all of the cares of the day. One more in. And this time, as you breathe out, think these words. I am safe. I am loved. I am at peace. Let us wish the world peace. And if you're ready, let's drift. Once upon a time, there lived a poor man who worked very hard in his mill, grinding grain on huge stones to turn into flour so people could make their daily bread. The man was without a great many things, it's true, but he did have the gift of a child, a kind and beautiful daughter named Megan. Now Megan was good to other people, to animals, and to her father. She had many, many wonderful features, so it would be silly for her father to make up even more attributes to impress others, wouldn't it? And yet, 
That is what the miller did. One day, while delivering sacks and sacks of flour to the local castle, for you see, in these times, every county had a castle, it seemed, the miller came upon the king himself, who was out walking and enjoying the day. The miller stopped his horse and cart when the king acknowledged him with a royal nod, for one did not simply ride by when his majesty took note of your presence. Good day, your majesty, called out the miller. A fine day, indeed. How goes your grain and flour, miller? For really, what else was the king going to ask? Royalty, you see, is well acquainted with small talk, so as to relate to the little people in some way or another. It goes well, quite well, said the miller, excited to have the king engaged in conversation. And for reasons we cannot fathom, the miller began to exaggerate. Sire, my mill has never been better. The finest in all the land, I'd say. And why would you say that, good sir? inquired the king with a laugh. Oh, because I have a daughter, a beautiful daughter. But my good man, many have daughters. Half the children in the kingdom are daughters, said the king. But not like mine, crowed the miller. Well, the king was intrigued by the humbly attired man on his run-down cart with the ancient horse. Whatever did he have to be boastful about? And how does your daughter differ from the hundreds within these kingdom boundaries? Without hesitation, and you know, the miller perhaps should have taken a breath and thought more carefully about what he was about to say, but he did not. He called out proudly these fateful words, My daughter can spin straw into gold. Into what? asked the king, unsure of what he thought he had heard. Gold, sire, pure gold. The king stroked his beard and raised an eyebrow in disbelief. You do know that lying to your king is an offense that warrants punishment, don't you? Yes, sir, er, sire, er, your majesty, he stammered, for the thought of spending days locked up in the stocks or in the king's prison did not appeal to him. No, it did not. Instead, he doubled down. If you do not believe me, well, I shall bring her forth tomorrow, and you will see that I am only telling you the whole truth. The king nodded. All right, you bring her to show me this talent of spinning straw into gold. I shall supply to you the straw from my own stables, so that you are not dabbling in alchemy or dark magic. I wish to see this with mine own royal eyes. Now. Away with you, that I may continue my daily walk. Yes, sir, your majesty, said the miller excitedly, and he shook the reins to awaken his tired old horse, and off they went up the path to the castle to complete the flower delivery. Why the miller fabricated this tale about his lovely daughter is a great mystery, for he already had the finest child a parent could wish for, smart compassionate, 
and caring towards all she encountered. He contemplated all of this on the long ride home, which was silent but for the singing of birds and the grunts and puffs of his old horse. Whatever had come over him. Whatever it was, he himself did not know, but now it was done, and he did not have the courage to tell his daughter about his misdeed. The next day dawned, and after working for two hours in his mill, the man went into the kitchen, where his daughter was washing up the dishes and putting the cups, plates, and spoons in their proper places. Would you like to go for a ride with me today, my dear? asked the miller. This is not market day, father, but yes, I should like that very much. Let me comb my hair, and I'll be ready in two shakes of a lamb's tail. And so she was. She chattered with happiness as she rode slowly with her dear father towards the town. But the girl was puzzled when, rather than turning right at the fork to where they would usually go, the cart turned left towards the castle that stood on a hill and shimmered in the morning sunshine. Why are we going to the castle, father? I don't see any sacks of flour to deliver to the royal chef. Oh, oh, my dear, he said, trailing off. Let's enjoy this splendid day, shall we? The two had not had many of these in their time together. The child's mother had died when the girl was but an infant, leaving the father and baby all alone to fend in the world. He was a good man, Megan's father, but times were always hard for them. The child never complained, however, and stayed cheerful and positive throughout. She was his treasure. And now he was about to bring her before the king. Heaven help them both. Soon enough, the cart clambered up the path to the castle entry. The miller and his daughter were announced to his majesty, who had the girl led by one of his guards down a hallway. As she looked back at her father in fear and surprise, he stared at his feet, unable to meet her eyes. Soon the girl was led into a room. Imagine her surprise when the king himself came to the doorway. Hello, my dear, he said with warmth. I appreciate you coming to visit us. Now, as you'll see, he said, gesturing broadly with his velvet-clad arm, the room is filled with straw. She nodded, speechless, for, yes, indeed, she had noticed all of the straw, and wondered, perhaps, if there was not a lamb or some such baby animal for her to play with. But there was also a wooden structure standing in the corner. Was that? Here's what you'll do, said the king, interrupting her thought. You will sit at that spinning wheel, and you will turn all of this straw into gold. Take all day and all night if you must, but in the morning, if this room is not filled with spun gold, it will be prison for you and your father. But your majesty, she said in fear and confusion, I, I... Enough, he said. Get to it, for I have a banquet to plan, and the spun gold shall be the talk of all the kingdoms, if and when you finish. With that, he left the room, followed by the guard, and closed the door. 
The click of a key turning in the lock made very clear that the girl was not leaving this stone room, and she had no idea how to spin straw into gold. Was that even possible? She sat in the corner, put her face in her hands, and began to cry. Then suddenly at the window, she heard a sound. Standing slowly, she crossed the tiny room in just three steps and pushed with all her might to open the window. Who is it? she asked, hoping that someone might be there to help her to leave, although the window was at least two stories above the hard ground below. It is a friend, said a voice, sounding ancient, yet somehow youthful at the same time. And up popped a face, looking like what we today might recognize as a garden gnome, with a small red stocking cap on his head, a white beard, and ever so rosy cheeks. I wish to help you. Oh, yes, please, friend, do. Do help me to get out of here. I know nothing of what they're asking me to do. The king has told me that I must spin all of this straw into gold by dawn, or my father and I will be imprisoned. How very fortunate that I am here for you, said the little man with a smile, for I know exactly how to do what it is they have tasked you with. But tell me, dear child, what will you give me if I spin this straw for you? Oh, I haven't much, she said, twirling the small necklace she wore, which had been her own mother's. Reluctantly, she said, I have this necklace. It's not much, but it is precious to me. Would you accept it? That's fine, said the gnome, who proceeded to sit down at the spinning wheel, although his feet barely reached the pedals, and told her to pass him straw. Quickly, he said. We have much to do, and the hours are flying. Well, so were the man's fingers. With the wheel whirring such that it created a breeze that moved the girl's hair as she passed the straw, the man filled spool after spool with spun gold. And so it continued, as the sun went down and the moon rose, until the morning when the eastern skies began to glow once again. That was when the gnome had left, for his presence at the castle was a secret, and the girl was supposed to have spun this gold all on her own, just as her father had promised. At sunrise the king returned. As she heard him and his guard clattering down the hall, she ran her fingers through her hair and pulled wisps down from the bun so that she would appear to have been working all night. Actually, she had assisted the little man as best she could, but truly he did all of the hardest labor. She stood by the spinning wheel and heard the key in the lock as the king and his man entered. The king's face glowed like the sunlit sky as he saw an entire room filled with enormous spools of spun gold from floor to ceiling. Oh, my dear girl, look what you have done. Are you happy, your majesty? Indeed I am, ecstatic even. He clapped his hands with joy as he surveyed every angle of the room. 
Then I am free to go, sire, she both asked, and stated, for that was the deal, as far as she understood it. How happy her father would be to not have to spend another night in the stables beneath the castle, waiting for his daughter to seal both their fates. Well, no, said the king, rather matter-of-factly. This is wonderful, so wonderful, in fact, that I would like for you to stay and spin me some more. For truly, a king cannot have too much gold now, can he? But your majesty, cried the girl, tired from her night of assisting the gnome and asking to see if her father was all right. Enough, snapped the king. You will follow me. And so she did, shrugging off the hand of the guard trying to guide her arm as they left one small room, only to enter another one, this one twice its size, also filled with straw. Not again, she thought, as her heart sank. Sire, I cannot do this, you see. At this, she stopped, remembering her fate if she admitted that she had not done the first night's work. It's too much. I'm so tired. You'll have plenty of time to sleep when you're dead, said the king, having been overtaken with greed. You will weave, or you will not live. Once again, the door slammed shut, and with the turn of a key and an iron lock, she was left alone. Oh, cruel fate, she cried. There can be no hope for me now. And with that, Megan curled up on a mat on the floor and cried her poor heart out. Just as they were the day before, her sobs were interrupted by the sound of tapping at her window. Rising on her elbows, she looked up, and there again was her little friend. She opened the window, wiping her face on her sleeve, and said, Can you help me? Can you save us, dear man? Oh, yes, said he, hopping through the window and landing solidly on the floor. But what have you to pay me this time, my girl? Will this ring be enough? she asked, twisting a small gold band from her finger, the one that had been taken from her mother's cold hand at the time of her burial just sixteen years before. It'll do, he said with a firm nod. Now, let's get to work. So they did. Hungry and exhausted as she was, she helped the gnome spin his magic and turn an entire room filled with straw into one that sparkled with gold. The next morning, the man had gone, and once again the king visited his magical servant to see what she had done for him. And once more, he was delighted to find all of that straw had become gold. And yes, as you might expect, it was not enough. The poor girl wept as she was led by the king and his guard to a third room, this one bigger and with higher ceilings than either of the two before. It was the grand ballroom, and instead of being filled with guests, there were mountains of yellow straw awaiting her deft touch. 
Before the king left, he had a servant deliver a meal to the girl, fit for a queen, and it's appropriate that it was, for here was the king's ultimatum. Because you have pleased me, I will offer a reward to you greater than just your life. If you can spin all of this straw into gold, having had your meal, of course, I will not only spare your life, but I will make you my wife. How fortunate you are, he said. And how fortunate am I, for there cannot be a richer bride in all the world, Miller's daughter or not. Having no choice in the matter at all, the girl was left alone in the ballroom to ponder what she was to do next. After she ate, of course, then she heard a voice from the corner of the vast room. Will you not save a morsel for me? It was again the gnome who had somehow gotten into the ballroom and was crossing the small part of parquet floor not covered in piles of straw towards her. Oh, thank goodness you're here. We have more work than even you can do. The king wants me, you, to spin all of this straw and I'll be made his wife. That or... And she made a line across her throat. Fear not, young lady, I'm ready for the task ahead, but pray tell. What have you to give me? At this, the girl began to cry again. She had given the gnome her mother's necklace and wedding ring. It was all the woman had left for her when she died. Between sobs, she said to him, I, I have nothing. I'm sorry. Well, well, now, this is a conundrum, isn't it? said the gnome, shaking his head. I cannot work for nothing, and you have nothing to pay. Whatever shall we do, I wonder? I don't know, said Megan. It seems my father and I will have to be punished. I know, said the gnome. Then after a pause seemed to reconsider, oh, no, no, you'd never agree, and he turned to leave. Wait, wait, what is your idea, kind sir? You've been so helpful to me, and I'm grateful. Is there anything, anything that might save us? Well, now that you mention it, he said, I do so want the comfort of a child as I get old. It's just me now, you see. And you, you could have many to care for you in your dotage. So here it is. You give me your firstborn child with the king, and I shall fill this ballroom with spun gold by sunrise. Anything, anything, said the soon-to-be queen, who clearly did not think through her decisions. She had to choose quickly, as so much work was to be done. Then we have a deal. You give me your first baby, and I spin the straw, he said, barely concealing his delight. Yes, yes, please just start, and take this bread for your troubles. Keep it, he said, his tone turning brusque. I have all I need, adding under his breath, except for company, and that I shall have. He sat down and began to spin. All through the night he worked, until at last, as the sun peered over the horizon, 
The ballroom began to glisten with the cloud of spun gold that filled it from smoothly waxed floor to decoratively painted ceiling. The girl awoke from her light slumber, rubbing her eyes as they adjusted to the bright glow that surrounded her. Just then, she and the man heard footsteps. It was the king. The doors to the grand ballroom swung wide and he called out in delight, Huzzah! You've done it, my clever girl, my clever wife! And with that, a parson was summoned, and her father was brought up from the stables. And right there amidst the rich froth of all that spun precious metal, they became king and queen. In time, the girl and her father, who both lived in the opulent castle now, although only one shared the king's chambers, of course, began to appreciate their surroundings and the gentleness that the king had bestowed upon them both. For yes, he was greedy, but he was also generous, and he showed his wife love and kindness. It was a year after their marriage that the queen gave birth to a girl. A beautiful child, she and the king named her Orum, a name of Latin origins meaning gold. Her eyes were a sapphire blue, and her hair as flaxen as the straw that had brought the couple together. The mother and child were as close as could be, and Megan loved her baby with all of her heart. It was a sunny day when the mother sat out on the palace grounds with her sweet babe when she heard a familiar voice. Remember me? it said sweetly. Oh, yes, she exclaimed in surprise, for she had not given the man or her promise another thought after her marriage to the king. Then you also remember our deal, hmm, so you may hand over your baby to me now, please. No, she cried, I will not. Be gone, or I shall call my husband and his guards to take you away. Oh, you won't do that, my dear, for before they lock me up, I shall tell them what I can do that you cannot, and then where will you be, my lovely lying lass? She looked at him in shock. No one was going to take her precious daughter. She tried to appeal to him. Surely you can't mean this. You cannot take this baby from her mother. I'll give you all the riches you can carry if you'll only keep our secret and leave us alone. No, 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 he said loudly, stomping his feet. A deal is a deal. Then he paused and said with a smirk, I'm not an ogre, I'm a gnome, so I'll give you one way out. If you can tell me my name within three days' time, you can keep your child, and after the third day, the child will be mine, and our deal is done. Once again, the young woman leapt to make that deal. Of course, I can do that, she said, anything to keep her child. I mean it this time. No more deals. He left as swiftly as he had appeared. The queen summoned a messenger girl and gave her strict orders. Under no circumstances was she to tell the king of the task at hand. When the messenger agreed, of course, the queen gave her orders. Go out and learn all of the names of the people in the kingdom. Then bring them back on a piece of parchment 
and deliver them to my chambers in secret tonight. The girl did as she was told. The next day, the queen and her daughter sat again on a bench on the grounds in the shade of a willow under which the king could not see her or the gnome who came to visit. Well, what's my name? he demanded. Hmm, is it Balthazar? No. Benedict? No. Bartholomew? No. The queen went on with thirty more names, all of which the gnome said were not his. She was crestfallen. You have two more days, young majesty. See you tomorrow. Once again she summoned the messenger, and this time she asked her to extend her search to the neighboring kingdoms. The messenger did not disappoint. However, the young queen's efforts the next day did. None of the names on two long scrolls of parchment was that of the man who wanted the princess. The man laughed at her frustration, tipped his small cap, and said, See you tomorrow, your majesty, and don't forget to bring my child. Again, the queen summoned the messenger and implored her to search the woods, the hollows, the places where people lived in tree stumps and tiny cottages. Surely someone there would share the gnome's name. The messenger mounted her horse and was gone in a flash. But that night the messenger returned and slipped one small parchment under the royal bedchamber doors. The queen held it in shaking hands and read its delicious contents. They went like this. As I rode through the faraway woods, I came upon a small clearing where there danced a tiny man around a fire, merrily chanting these words. Tomorrow I shall bring a child to make my life so contented, so mild. The queen will not beat me at my game, for Rumpelstiltskin is my name. The queen clutched the parchment to her chest in joy. The third day dawned and she waited on the bench under the willow. Along came the small man, who was as confident as she was that this day would go well. A good day, your majesty. Have you said farewell to your child? I do not see her here. In good time, my friend, did we not have a deal? If I guess your name, I will keep my baby and you will be gone forever. Oh, I have forgotten nothing. How I saved you from death. How I helped make you queen. How I now come for my payment, that which is rightfully mine. So, my dear, what is my name? He sat back at the base of the willow, crossed his legs, and smiled at her. Go on. The queen was happy to play with the man. She smiled back. Well, let me see. Is your name, hmm, Mephistopheles? Nope. Is your name Beelzebub? Most certainly not he said, taking exception to being called the devil himself. Then, hmm, is it possibly Rumpelstiltskin? In that moment, it was so silent that you could have heard a ladybug dancing on a daisy. The little man's eyes grew wide, first with astonishment and then with fury, an anger so hot and wild that the tree under which he sat 
began to sprout tiny flames on its dangling willow branches. And then, before her eyes, the man who had changed straw to gold himself changed into a fireball. Consumed by his anger, he shouted out in rage, and with a flash, he was gone. All except for a dark smudge at the base of the tree, whose own small flames the breeze had extinguished. No one but the queen and her trusty messenger ever knew of what happened those three days, or on the nights during which that gnome had given so much and then demanded too high a payment in return. Had he only asked for riches, she sighed, we might have been friends. And with that, I will wish you a good night and sweet dreams. <laughs>